Welcome to season two of The Rise After the Fall. I am Sean Hennessy, the senior pastor at Life Church in Green Bay, joined by my favorite person on earth and my favorite podcast co-host, the lead pastor who really gets it all done here at Life Church in Green Bay, the right reverend, Sonny Hennessy. Thank you. You're welcome. And we added to our title in January this year as founders of the Exchange Collaborative, the nonprofit, which so far, uh, it doesn't come with much glory, just a lot of faith and and not fear, but we're trying to walk in faith about what this looks like. But it's the Exchange Collaborative, which is what this podcast uh, was spawned out of, was let's let's be there for leaders and pastors all over the U.S. and Canada and Ireland. Uh, so pretty cool. We got to start that since our first season. And crazy that we're doing a second season because this wasn't planned. We didn't know for sure. I think we we knew we were supposed to do a podcast. We kind of felt like, okay, we're coming to an end of a season. But I don't think you and I either one were like, we, we're we for sure doing another season. If it would have failed, bombed, been pointless, there wouldn't be this season. So this is exciting that we, we know that we know, and by um, hearing from people, listening to the first season, some of them finding it every single week, and then saying, I'm telling everybody I know, we thought, we better do season two. I don't know that I even knew it was going to turn into a season, yeah. I guess, when we started <laughs> it. It felt like a response to a need, yeah. certainly. It is interesting how there are people who are catching it now. Mm-hmm. The season's been over. Season one has been over. And to have people who are just catching it now, right before we hit record, you said that maybe this will become like something that you just find on Netflix or even a podcast. There's podcasts that I find. I am i shouldn't admit this on a podcast. I'm not a big podcast guy. Mm-hmm. I don't listen to very many of them. And when I find one that I really love though, I'm on it. Yeah. And then I tell people about it. Right. And I think that's happening here. Like I have a particular podcast that I found. I won't say the name of it. It's phenomenal. And it was like a Netflix series. And some of the episodes were two hours long. And I've been telling people mm. about it because what I love is, is even the host of that particular podcast. He calls it long form journalism. And I'm finding that I really like that in my video entertainment. And I really like that from the podcast standpoint. So when you look back on our first season, it really kind of flowed as one common theme. And so to come back now, having had people just discovered that, having had people that are like, I mean, literally this week that are saying that they've just discovered it, even as we're recording this episode one of season two, we have a beautiful couple who are right now, this very moment, going through Journey to Wholeness, and they found it because of the podcast. And how in the world does someone in a state that we don't live in find something that could impact their lives only through digital media? And so I'm really excited about what I think this series could do for people. There's been so much that's happened since we even recorded the first season, one of which I'd love for you to talk about, was something, as Jesus people, of course, we don't think things are coincidental or that they just come out of the blue, but 
in the state of North Carolina, something literally just came out of the blue that's on our radar right now. It has to do with this podcast. And I think it will be our life's work. Yeah. Well, 25 years, we've been married 26 years and we were a year, we met at Bible college and probably a year after being married, before we were even in ministry, we stood on the deck of my parents' ranch, which I grew up so there, so it was just my house. But you looked out over the, we were on the Wyoming side of my parents' ranch, which is Montana and Wyoming. And you said, I feel like this could be a great place to bring pastors. And you pictured in the summer, four-wheeling, in the winter, snowmobiling, uh, and I thought, wow, yeah, that's a great idea. And, you know, one of the things, even as over the years, we'd go out there and say the same thing. Uh, once we were pastors, we hadn't yet hit burnout at that point. We hadn't yet had our own struggles or even our fall. But we just thought, it seems like pastors would need a refreshing. And how cool to be with a bunch of pastors somewhere. Well, now there's men's trips for fly fishing. You've heard about that. That's yeah. huge for pastors. Um, deep sea fishing is something that, that is happening. Horseback riding yeah. for guys who've never ridden horses. Yeah. So like this has become a thing now, mm-hmm. 25 years later, it's like, oh yeah, I went on that fly fishing thing and I don't even know the name of it, but I've heard from multiple pastors. Um, I don't think, oh, what about the women? But of course, what about the wives, right? What <laughs> what are, um, of course, I'm not your typical, I don't know that there is a typical pastor's wife. But Are you saying but, you want to go fly fishing? No, that's what I'm saying is I don't. So what about them or what if they want to go together? Because you know from being in the ministry a long time and, um, you know, golf trips were a big thing 10, 15 years ago. Everybody's going to go on a golf trip. And so, you know, I, I don't want to be that pastor's wife when I'm a pastor myself that's told, hey, ladies, you go for the luncheon and then go shopping today. Or there's no trip for us. So anyway, I think we have thought pastors as in the couple, right, this whole time. And so we uh, have done this. We did this podcast last season, and I agree with you. I think the long-form journalism and finding things late, I think what's happening is maybe people will find this podcast even season two, and they'll have the opportunity to binge listen uh, like we do, we find something season three, season four, and then we're so excited that we don't have to only have four episodes. We're like, we can watch 30 in a row. It's amazing. <laughs> and uh, so we had the podcast going and we do have a couple upstairs in our journey to wholeness wing that are going through a two-day intensive from another state who found us on the podcast. I've been contacted via my cell phone because our cell phone number is on the website and just saying, is this sunny? And I'm me saying, yeah, and we've talked to them over the phone. And and so we we thought, wow, like this is this has turned into more than we even expected, and we're big dreamers. And it happened pretty quick, actually. And so we were looking at properties in different cities just for our own personal investment and maybe rentals, Airbnbs for our side personal income. And you sent me a link to where your best friend is the pastor, our best friends um, are pastors in Winston-Salem. And so that's on our radar. Like we could own rentals there and we'd have a reason to go see them, right? If we Mm -hmm. had to go rent the house. So you sent me a link to this 
property, this 20-acre property. And I thought, our kids are both out of the house. We're literally empty nesters this year. We don't need seven bedrooms, <laughs> plus a cabin on the property, plus a pool house that could be more housing. Like, we don't need 20 acres in a massive complex. We're, And you said, and we had not talked about this, other than the ranch. That's just been like... Decades before. Decades. And the nearest regional airport is two hours away from the ranch. So like in Rapid City, South Dakota is the big airport. So it always was this, how do we do that? And how do we convince pastors to spend all this money to fly in, drive them out? It just never came to fruition, but it's always been in our heart. And so you sent me this and I thought, whoa, like this could be something. So now you go because you talk to the owner within yeah, the day. Yeah, it's ironic. I- how God works and God is always orchestrating things. And sometimes when you think a dream is dead, that dream is really just percolating. And God is, God's often a crockpot God, but it feels like in our lives when people look at us that from our experiences that God's a microwave God. Mm-hmm. But no one knew, almost knew in it, mm-hmm. almost no one in our life knew outside of us, that this was a dream for us. First, I thought, why would I even be qualified? to? And it didn't start as a pastoral restoration. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it just started out as a thing that now, this often happens to me. I'll get an idea, and I'm not a fast mover often, which sometimes is frustrating to people, but I'm a big-time timing guy. And I will feel like God pulls on my reins to stop me more than he does to get me to go. And and so, like, I had this idea about electric cars. I'm a car person. And I love everything about cars. I love the sound of cars more than anything. I, I love the smell of gas, incidentally. So for me to have an electric car, I just go, I, it's cool and I love the, the torque of an electric car, but the idea of it not really being a car, like I'm driving a computer. And even Tesla says, we're not a car company, we're a tech company that makes cars. So about two years ago, I started telling people that I had this idea that what if you could come up with an app that you could install on every electric car and through the stereo system, it would play whatever sound you want. So let's say you wanted your car, you're driving a Tesla and you want it to sound like a 68 Chevelle. That, a 68 Chevelle sounds different than a 69 Corvette. So what if you wanted to drive that day and you wanted your car to sound like a 68 Chevelle? You just press a button on the app, it's a choice, and now you got the rumble, you have the sound. And I've told people this idea and everybody who I told they did, they go, dude, that's dope. But I don't know how to make an app. So last month, there's a release in Motor Trend that Dodge is coming out with the first electric muscle car and built in the speakers is the sound of a muscle car. I was like, these fools owe me money. But because, because I, I have this idea doesn't mean that I've always followed through on my ideas. They were just ideas. And so nobody really knew because I didn't talk about this idea because I felt like, who am I to invite pastors to come out? And, and you know, guys, Ark has a bunch of stuff that they do. And so I kind of felt like, God, I really missed my opportunity. And then we got into the retreat thing. I mean, the restoration thing. And I, when this property came across, I was like, oh, this is perfect for that. And so I 
I had no business even opening this listing because it was a lot of money. And we weren't looking at investment properties in that realm. And for some reason, I just felt implored to open it. And I read the whole description and everything about it was perfect. And then at the bottom, it said an owner would consider owner financing, which it wasn't necessarily that we couldn't get financing for it. But I mean, our nonprofit is formed in one state. This is in another state. Our bank is in one state. Banks don't typically loan across state lines. And so that really piqued my interest. And so I called our best friend who lives in Winston-Salem and the property was in Winston-Salem. And I said, I found this property. I listed it. It was amazing. I got so excited, left it on his voicemail. So then he calls me back. He says, bro, I was literally on that property yesterday. We toured the property for three hours yesterday. That guy's on the board of my church. Which incidentally, the church he's at that he's talking about, we interned in 23 years ago. In 1997. It was unbelievable. And so all of the different connections and all of the different thoughts. And then I had had a conversation that I won't go into with the senior pastor of Winston-Salem first, a guy, Dr. Ron McManus. I'd had a conversation with him 25 years ago uh, about this idea of there being pastors that are desperately lacking in integrity. And he went up one side of me and down the other. But then you pointed out, looking back, that was the seed. Well, you've used this story. I want to, I think we need to land. I think some of these things are key over other things we could talk about. I think you went in because you at Winston-Salem first, you, you were asked by the senior pastor, if you want to come in, we were between our sophomore and junior year of a Bible college in North Dakota. The opportunity even to intern there for the summer in the youth ministry was crazy. Like that was such a God thing for us to be asked to go there and not in our intern year, a year ahead. Yeah. Obviously professors saw something in you that, that they said, do we want to give you this opportunity? We get there, the senior pastor who senior pastors, no matter the size of the church typically aren't like, I'm going to call a meeting with an intern in the youth department. <laughs> uh, and he did. And he actually had you speak on a Wednesday night. And before or after that, he had you come into his office and he said, didn't he say, what do you want to do with your life? He said, where do you see yourself in five years? And you said, well. I said, well, I don't know where I see myself, but I can tell you where I don't see myself. And that's in the assemblies of God, because the assemblies of God is desperately lacking in men of integrity. And he said, you wouldn't. He said, the assemblies of God is filled with men whose integrity you could only wish to have. So you've shared that story there's going to be listeners who are going to go, I've known the Hennessy's for a long time. I remember Sean telling that story. And you've told that story over the last 23 years as an example of what a punk you were, yeah. how naive you were, how cocky you were. You've told that to my interns mm-hmm. and our people that went into ministry. You've shared with them, like, you think you know everything now, but man, I'm so glad I got my block knocked off by Ron McManus, first, uh, Winston first. So what is interesting is 23 years later, this property is owned by a board member of that who remembers you speaking that Wednesday night, owns the property, is still on the same board. We're like, we couldn't make this up. And it hit me as we met with him, the property owner who's still a board member, he pulled out a letter from 23 years ago. 25, it was 1997. So it was right after we got yeah. married even. It was right after we were on that deck and had those Oh, so it was 25. I keep yeah. saying 23. 25 years ago, same year you were on the deck, Ron McManus 
lets the board know ahead of time, which was the summer we interned there. Uh, I'm going to be stepping down from this church that he had built to an amazing church, and I'm going to focus on pastors. We had no idea. His heart and mission in that city for the out of that church was, I'm going to help pastors. And in that moment in the driveway with this board member, it hit me. You said something that you thought was naive and cocky, but you said something that was prophetic that you weren't prepared for 25 years ago to work with people who are struggling in integrity and character. We went on to have integrity and character issues. We both had our issues. That's why we have this podcast, because we fell. We rose, and now we're in that city where you said that. And yeah, this is crazy. So he recognized my face when we pulled up to the property, but he didn't recognize your face. You look very different. Your shaved head and a beard back then, you had the the um, Backstreet Boys or New Kids on the Block haircut flipped up in the front, the pilot, not as in a pilot, but the Caesar type haircut and no beard. And he didn't recognize your face, but he, re- he knew your sermon. And so this property, you know, it's a lot, but really because it's in Winston-Salem and it's a, not a market that's crazy expensive, this property is 1.8. I just want to say that because there yeah. are people that 1.8, especially someone who um, has the means or, you know, is a philanthropist, they, they're like, oh my gosh, that's nothing. You're going to get 20 acres in this retreat center, uh, which we've looked at. It's not, it doesn't have major issues or structural or anything. It just needs some cosmetic updating which I love. And um, 1.8 is a actually ridiculously low price. He is owner financing and he has committed the seller to repair everything that the inspection brings up to owner finance. And he and his wife have committed to give monthly for 10 years minimum. Yeah. The realtor who's, who worked with him is committing to us because they know the vision and the heart to help restore leaders and pastors is also committing to support us monthly. We're like, we didn't even ask you. We're not even asking for support yet. And they offered it up. So Before we ever even had the keys to the place, you know, we had $2,500 a month worth of support, which mm-hmm. is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. We've still not done a hard ask on it yet. He financed $1.2 million of that, and we have to put down... which he then deferred the $600,000. He said he would take financing on the $600,000 down payment over the course of one year. So he deferred the $1.2 million mortgage until month 13. We only have to pay on the $600,000 for the first 12 months, which is a chunk. It's Mm -hmm. a lot of money. It is a faith Mm -hmm. step. But sometimes you stop working your faith muscle and you can get into cruise control which I think can get you in trouble too, Mm -hmm. which leads to people getting to a place where they become uh, really loose, Mm -hmm. if you would. They're distracted. When when scripture says, put your hand to the plow and don't look back, we have to keep our eyes pushed forward. And to push your eyes forward, you've got to have something that's really difficult to do. And this is going to be really difficult to do on a number of levels. It's going to be really difficult to do financially. It's going to be really difficult to do emotionally and spiritually. It's not an easy undertaking to carry other people's burdens. 
Right. It's hard enough to carry your own. So God has been equipping us for the last 25 years, as you said, to do something broadening and strengthening our shoulders to be able to help people bear their burden. We're not carrying other people's burden. That's their responsibility. But to be able to come alongside somebody and help them to distribute the weight of their burden is, it's rewarding, but it is also ominous Mm -hmm. to be able to have God call you to that. It's interesting. It just hit me as you were talking. So 25 years ago, you said something really that's prophetic. Could God have allowed us? You know, people ask, why do bad things happen to good people? And we ask that. We're in ministry. We've lost a child and our marriage is suffering and we have pasts of different types of abuse. And could God have said, you actually have the calling on your life 25 years ago. You have a calling to help. You would have never known empathized or known what it looks like and feels like to come back from a fall and do it right had you not experienced it yourself. Right. Which is a mind twister. Um, But were we, I mean, please, we're not Job, but were we trusted with, consider my servant, Sean and Sonny, they will screw up royally, (laughs) (laughs) but they will come back to help others. And so actually, as you say that carrying the burden, we have a lead team that we have established who next month will be here in Green Bay with us to go to a couple Packer games. We had to lure them with Packer tickets. We did. But they are our friends. All of them are people who know our story. Many walked alongside us during our fall and or left us during our fall, which was a good thing, like kind of left us alone, right? Like you guys got to figure this out, which is sometimes the biggest gift. Like, I'm not going to bail you out. I'm going to, I'm here, but you got to, you got to go through this, which is what we're saying. Let's help you, but you got to fall all the way. And so all of these couples, they're pastors, they're leaders, they're very close to us, but there's 17 couples. Majority of them are pastors. Some are business owners who have, um, or we'll go through the Journey to Wholeness program, which is about 75% of our program. And right. then you and I fill out the rest of it in, in going through the program. Um, they're from all over the U.S. We really looked at couples who were in different regions. I mean, some one's up in Washington, D.C. Um, some are in California, Minnesota, also Dublin, Ireland yeah. are the the people, the pastors we helped plant Open Arms Church in Dublin, Ireland, they're coming over to be a part of this. Canada, a couple in the church that we're currently now partnered with and helping in Toronto. Um, one of the couple, the pastoral couples from there is on this team. And so the goal is that we're, I hate to use the word watchmen, but what would you say? Uh, it's, you know, these couples in a region knowing people we don't know, Um pulling them in and saying, I'm close enough. We can do coffee and talk about this before you fall or you fell and no, it seems like you're alone. I'm here. I have an option for you through these people I know in this exchange collaborative and you can go away and nobody has to know your business. You can go away and be at this retreat center in North Carolina. You can go to Green Bay, Wisconsin and They'll, they have a wing in their church that they'll do an intensive. Like we're trying to provide places in different regions of the country also to provide this program or this intensive. So uh, what would you call them, these lead team members? Watchmen is a good thing to say. This is going to sound very 
churchy, but they feel like burden bearers. Mm -hmm. They are watching, you know, but a watchman who doesn't sound the alarm, that's not really a watchman. It's just a watcher. We don't need watchers. We need people who will sound the alarm. Mm -hmm. And I And not publicly. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Very good point. I think these are people who they have a heart of restoration. There's a difference between a heart of restoration and a heart of revelation. There's lots of people who have a heart of revelation. Those are the people who are talking about Matt Chandler right now. Mm. I don't talk about people's names, but I'm tired of hearing the Matt Chandler story. Mm -hmm. I'm tired of hearing the Matt Chandler story from everybody other than Matt Chandler. Those are people who they like to reveal things, but they don't want to restore things. Mm -hmm. Have you heard? Man, don't lead with have you heard, but it's... And the reason you bring up Matt Chandler and by name, because everybody has has probably figured out, we don't say names, but it's clear who we've mentioned or referred to in podcasts. But Matt Chandler, it's because why are we looking for more dirt than is there? And is this church actually doing the right thing by the elders saying and him him saying, uh, yeah, I will go through the process of, I had a blind spot. I have a blind spot. And let's catch this before there is sexual or inappropriate behaviors. Could this be a really great model versus it's always after the fall and it's scandalous? Yeah. I think the Matt Chandler thing, that's a really good way for you to put it. People that are looking for more dirt because it's not my responsibility to look for dirt. I don't know him. I don't have a relationship with him. Why am I looking for something even if it's there, it's not my responsibility. And that's what I want these lead team people to be. I want these lead team people. Like I would love somebody who knows Matt Chandler and is intimately involved in that situation to reach out to us and say, here's how we think you could help Matt. But God can't trust us to help someone like that if we're too busy revealing what we think is happening in their life. Do you know what people who the spirit of revelation is, is a gossip. Mm-hmm. So... In the church world, we we mask that as prayer requests. We've said that a million times, mm-hmm. right? We need to pray for blah blah blah. Okay, yeah, we do need to pray for that person, but I don't need I don't need any of the details mm-hmm. to pray for him. And, and quite frankly, if I wasn't praying for him before, right? Suddenly, we're experts or we're super involved. <laughs> yeah. So our lead team people, I want it to be people who go, I know this person, I have a relationship with them. I've reached out to them. We've had a conversation. I've mentioned your program to them. They're interested. Would you be willing to intervene? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But, but, it's, but we don't have a lead team filled with people who are just filling our inbox or our text messages or DMs with rumors. I, I don't have time for rumors. Mm-hmm. There are enough people who have fallen or are falling or are in danger of falling who are willing to have us help them that I don't need to spend my time focusing on the people. Like we had one person who will go unnamed, who reached out to us. They were ready for restoration. They were connected to somebody who also needed restoration, who wasn't ready for restoration. They asked if I would reach out to that person. And I said, no. Mm -hmm. You can't reach out to someone because 
a spouse, you've, we've seen this with marriage counseling. Will you please call my husband? He's a wreck. Here's his number. Right. You've tried that. Yeah, I did it's try worse. that. It's worse. It doesn't work. Nope. <laughs> and so I'm really excited about the lead team people because some of them people will have heard of. Some of them are people that others wouldn't have heard of. And yet they're people who have a heart for what we have a heart for. So I'm blown away that there are 17 couples who I would consider power couples. Power couples. Who are willing to stand on the wall. That's where you say the watchman. They are willing to stand mm. on the wall and look out for the dangers that may be coming. And so watchman watches for things that are coming and sounds the alarm, but not in uh, a sense of revelation in a sense of restoration. And so, posting on Instagram. And yeah. maybe there's people who are listening to this who who we didn't think of for that. So if you didn't get asked to be on the lead team, it's not because we don't love you or it's not because we don't believe in you. It's just because we didn't think of you. And if it's something that you want to do, please reach out to us. The 17 yes. is not the limit. Right. We're, there's all kinds of areas or regions, not just of this country or this continent, but of this world that that needs something like this. We don't have anybody in England. We don't have anybody on an African continent. We don't have anybody in Asia. We know people in those things, but we don't have anybody. There's there's pastors or missionaries that are falling. I have a friend who was a missionary in Africa for a long time and was a mega powerhouse missionary who had a fall and he just disappeared. And that ministry in that part of the world, it just dissolved. And he was not restored and he was not returned. Mm. Now, not everybody who you restore is going to return. There's, that's two different things. We're not just in the return business. We're in the restoration business. Maybe that guy's going to go and sell shoes at Nordstrom. But as a salesman at Nordstrom, he's going to have, I mean, our pastor in Tacoma, that was his line. You might as well go sell shoes at Nordstrom. If you can do anything but ministry, do it. Yeah, go sell shoes at Nordstrom. Yeah. And then we later found out, I <laughs> met his saleswoman. At Nordstrom, I bought shoes from the same woman who my pastor, and she said, oh my gosh, do you know, do you know Pastor Buntane? I said, yeah, he's my spiritual father. She said, I've been selling his family shoes for over 30 years. I reached out to his grandson with a picture of her. He goes, oh, that's so-and-so. He goes, I've never bought shoes from anyone else at Nordstrom other than her. His whole life. And I just thought this person has had an impact. This lady had had an impact on my life and I had never even met her. So people may not return to the ministry. And so our our goal isn't to get people back in ministry. It's our, to get them healthy. Yes. Our goal is to make sure people get to heaven. Yes. Because there are people who are pastoring yes. churches right now who aren't going to heaven. Right. That's crazy. And they're just on the, it's like a car that their one side of their wheels are just still on and they're tipping yeah. and they're leaning towards the ditch and they're just taking the turns and they're just barely staying in the ministry mm-hmm. and they're screwing up people as they go. And uh, we'd love to get a hold of them. They get a hold of us, but yeah. you know what I mean. Us grab a hold of mm-hmm. them in that moment where they're skidding the side of the road going, yeah. oh, I'm barely me. Then they turn over in the ditch and it's over and they fall. Yeah. If people will know, they can come forward. And here's the thing. I don't. I think we say this on our website, but we're not going to contact your board or your district or your don- denomination. Right. It's not our job or the watchman's job to out you. Yeah. The point is come to us. In fact, there was one person who... Uh, filled out the form on our website for help. And so then we reached back out to say, hi, we're here. I don't know what you're talking about. 
I never contacted you. Now, what we don't know is maybe it was a wife who listened to the podcast and put their husband's email phone number and name in there, right? Yeah. And they were like, I don't know what, and we were like, oh, we're with the Exchange Collaborative. You know, maybe you found our website or a podcast. I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, that could be true or that person could have gotten skittish or maybe it was pre-fall. Their wife doesn't know. Their wife checks their email or phone. Oh, yeah. And it's like, who is, so I mean, the fear in this, this is real. This is why it can't just be you and I, Becky, Barry, our team making this happen because there is a lot of fear involved in, I am i don't even know if I could get hired at Nordstrom. If yep. I get caught, I have no skills outside of the ministry or I don't want to go work at Nordstrom or McDonald's. Like, so I have to keep this facade rather than getting out of living day-to-day hoping your wife or your husband don't find out. I mean, there's also, we're dealing with some cases where the wife had affairs with people on the staff. Yeah. And the husband is like, I could lose everything because my wife isn't as, you know, an elder and his wife should be in order according to the Bible. And so they're scared because their wife is messing up. I mean, it's complicated. We're dealing in it, like you said, a very burdensome air. We're dealing in a dark world. Like I, uh, having this retreat come on our lap, it feels that way. I know we're paying for it, but it feels like it was dropped in our lap because in another state, this could be a $20 million property. Yeah. So, um, having it come in our lap, I, it, I can't say I'm not, um, I wouldn't call it hesitant cause I'm not, I have a peace from the Lord, but trepidatious in that when you walk into something the enemy has a foothold in and you start to fix it or bring it to light and have God intervene, we will come under attack. I mean, we've done marriage counseling with couples. Now we don't really. We're like, you need to do journey. We're a waste of time. Do journey to wholeness. But I remember five years ago doing a marriage counseling in our office and them leaving and that night or the next day us having a fight that— we hadn't had anything like that in a year. And I'm like, seriously, I want to quit helping people because then it yeah. it hurts our marriage for some reason. Well, it's the enemy. Well, it's the difference between sharing a burden and transferring a burden. I'm not here to be a download center. I don't want to take your burdens on me. That's not my responsibility. Jesus said to cast them on him. Don't cast them on me, but I want to distribute them so let's let's spread them out a little bit, but don't come in here and just bleh, dump on me and then think that everything's going to be fine. There, and this is the thing that's difficult about restoration is that there is a responsibility on the behalf of the person who's needing to be restored. It is not my job nor my gifting to restore people. It is my responsibility and my burden to help people distribute what it is that they have and to help them shamelessly be able to own what it is that they're going through, which is why it is a private thing. And which is the beauty of part of our process being that you can do an intensive Mm -hmm. because, because you can take, you can take a week's vacation or two weeks vacation and go through an intensive where you don't have to take a six month or a one year sabbatical and move away. Now, some people need to take that six months or a year. Especially if the fall has happened. (laughs) Some of those people, you know, they need to, reevaluate what it is that they want to do with their life anyway. And we're here to help with that. Mm-hmm. But it's, I'm, I'm neither the judge nor the executioner. I just want to be a friend. Mm-hmm. 
I just want to, my friend has a, has a line. It He's been using it the whole time I've been knowing him. He said, I'm just trying to love people. <laughs> That's the heart of what we've got going on here. We're just trying to love people. Mm-hmm. And there weren't many people who walked in when our lives were falling apart. Now, there are people who distanced themselves, as you said, who needed to distance mm-hmm. themselves. I think even my own parents. I'm just going to say, I think <laughs> all the time about your parents and a line that your mom had said that's it's stuck in my head. We moved back to Florida right down the street from them. And she said, you're more than welcome to be here, but don't think I'm going to be helping out with your kids. That's what she said. Mm-hmm. Don't be dropping your kids off here. And, and thinking, we I'm just walked out, t- got in our ghetto car yep. and thought and looked at each other like she's such a bee. Yep. And it was the best thing that ever happened. And she came and she told us years later when she knew we were healthy, whole and was like, okay, they're not even my kids. They're different people. She said, do you know how hard it was? Mm-hmm. I'm going to cry. Yeah. She told me that you guys would drive away and I would cry over what you were going through. But I knew that God had told me that I needed to hold the line. And there are people in our lives who held the line without letting it go. You know, there's people that drop the line and there's people that hold the line and and holding the line isn't always um, entitling people or enabling people. There is a, there is a, I was writing this in my prayer journal today. It's very interesting. I had a conversation with a, a very influential guy for like two and a half hours a couple of weeks ago. And I had been praying to have this conversation for nine years. Every day I prayed that God would make this connection. God put this person on my heart. And him and I had a very interesting conversation about living your life in abundance. And he couldn't understand why in ministry I felt the necessity, he's not in ministry, why I felt the necessity to apologize for any abundance that God has allowed me to live in. And God has allowed us to live in abundance. We are- Post-fall especially. We are overly blessed. Mm -hmm. And I was writing in my prayer journal today about that conversation, about God, thank you for allowing me to live in abundance while equipping me to not live in entitlement. Mm -hmm. And there's a fine line between feeling entitled and uh, like I was trying to navigate while I was writing- like, God, is it entitled for me to believe that I deserve this? And I don't know if I deserve it. I'm certainly thankful for it. Mm. But there's a, a razor thin line between believing you don't deserve something and believing you shouldn't have it. Mm. Restoration's kind of like that. When you get to the point where you've been thrown into the dirt by people, you can get so beaten down that you feel like you don't deserve. He said that he felt that his whole life, that uh, Christianity had been weaponized against him. I was like, God, what a killer way to say that, no pun intended. And he said that uh, Christianity had been weaponized against him and that all of his life, people had tried to convince him that he didn't deserve the abundance that he was living in. And- He's not in a season of restoration. He's not in a fall. But my point being that it's a very difficult thing for someone who is is living their life in a fall to feel like they deserve to be restored. Everyone deserves to be restored. 
So I think people don't reach out because they feel like they're such dirty dogs mm. that, that, that people walking out does make you feel like that. Yeah. But someone like your mom who didn't walk out, let's be clear, she was in our life. Yeah. She just wasn't going to enable us. Right. So we're not here to enable people. She wasn't going to make it easier. Right. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. And that's what we're not willing to do, to just make this easy. I mean, mm-hmm. we have on our website, we can help you, you know, finance. I mean, not because we have money sitting in the bank to help you, but because we're willing to raise money yep. to help people not pay the full bill. So for the couple that's here right now, we're paying for their hotel. We, the Exchange Collaborative wrote a check to Journey to Wholeness to cover their intensive. They're, they got their flight, and I said, you probably need a rental car. They got a rental car. So it was a, we're going to give some, and you do what you can, because to pay the whole bill is not, you, you know, like anything. We tell people, don't try to do um, Dave Ramsey's course if you're not willing to even pay the $99, because yeah. you won't stick with it. So there's, but, but we can't make it so easy but at the same time, we're really, like you said, here to help. And and I want to point out one thing because I think you really just spoke to the person listening who who was about to fall or did fall. Um, and and what you said is that I think that there's two feelings people have. They have a fear of being found out, so they're pre-fall. It's not yeah. public. They're either living in fear or they're living in shame. And neither of those are good soil to get help. Right. You can't, if you're living in fear right now, you need to know that is the enemy trying to keep you from getting help. And if you don't get help now, it is only going to get worse. There's only going to be more opportunity for more sin. The lady or man you're texting right now that it hasn't crossed the line into sexual, sexual things, romantic things, like the Matt Chandler thing we're talking about, the next step is she or he is going to say something that's provocative. That you can't Satan, come back from. Yes, and Satan will not give up. So don't let that fear stop you. And also on the other end of it is shame, keeping people from thinking they can tell the whole thing or honestly, they even deserve any kind. Like, like I remember thinking, and you said to me, and we might've said this first season that, after we came to Green Bay, after our fall, and really being out of lead pastoring or anything like we were for three years, doing anything where we were the lead lead, right? right. Um, which I look back and go, that was amazing. For three years, we were not the leaders of anything. Um, I remember you saying, if I only ever pastor 150 people, but I have my kids and you, I'll be happy. Because we we owned our home and we were able to make the payments and we had a small salary, but we were like, we have 80 people in our church right now to start. If we can get to 150, that <laughs> is all I ever need. Yep. Because we were still living in shame. Yeah. You didn't feel like you deserved more than 150 people. I didn't feel like I deserved more than, I actually, we have heat in our house and we own this one. Yeah. And we didn't even have that. So shame can stop you from thinking that you deserve to ask the exchange collaborative or pastors or us to help you. Who can we help? Those who will not live in fear, not live in shame. And there's, there should, and hopefully we can get to a place that's somewhere in the middle ground, or just we can, you can remove those two emotions so that we can help. That's so good. Yeah, there's, I don't think there's anybody that we won't help who wants help. No. But you do have to be able, I love that you came up with this line last season, and it's kind of become the mantra. You have to be willing to fall all the way. There's, 
there's no way that you can uh, come back from a partial fall. Yeah. Well, and like you said, it's not that we're willing to help anyone. We don't have this long application process to see if you qualify. We don't ask for financial statements to see if we, you know, we're not FAFSA. (laughs) So like, it's not, but I will say we will have communicate, Pastor Barry will have communication, Pastor Becky, ourselves, maybe all of us, maybe one to see, are you in a place where you have fallen all the way or you're going to be willing? That's all. And that's a discernment thing. That's not an application process. We'll help anybody. But if we discern as the poor guy who just kept saying, I have no idea what this is. We're like, you filled out the little form. Somebody filled out the form. Somebody filled it out. So he's obviously not ready. (laughs) We're not calling you through the white pages. That's the people that are over 40. Yeah. We didn't go through the phone book, just calling every- Pastor. (laughs) Yeah, Johnson. His name's not Johnson, incidentally. We're not calling every Johnson in the thing, looking for somebody who screwed up. Mm -hmm. So this season coming up, there's a couple of things that I'm excited about that I want to talk about. We won't talk about this today, but I want to talk about, and particularly to put this on your radar, because I think that you're you're an excellent communicator about this, this, this prevention thing and about putting ring fences around us. And I want to talk about that in an episode mm. because what I would love is uh, for people to listen to this and for it to be effective enough that we never hear from them. That this actually (laughs) helps. This this curbed it off before they, Mm -hmm. maybe they're having a thought or an inclination Mm -hmm. or, I mean, even a fleeting thought. And you just go, well, who do you have around you? That's, what do you have around you? That's keeping you inside the line. So I want to talk about that this season. We're going to have new guests. We've already got a few that are lined up. Some who are listening, maybe you're a guest. You're a potential person who we could have on here. There's some people that we've talked to who I would love to have on that people would definitely have heard of them. Yeah. I'm not going to say who this is, but it'll be, this person is not ashamed or afraid, but is praying that she comes in and on this podcast with the right heart and all of the right intentions. And I love that she is seeking God on that, but she's a wife of a very well-known pastor that fell. Yeah. And who's not who he wasn't real willing for restoration or reconciliation. They're actually divorcing not by her will but his. And she will be on because when we began to talk, I said, "Yeah. Like what about the wives?" And she and a couple other well-known women in the Christian world, not just that I know, like you guys would know, are if if not just her, there's a couple of women that are probably going to be on our podcast that they're talking about springing. And I told them, I said, we'll be the promotion of it, of their podcast that could possibly begin called What, what About, about the, the Wives? That's interesting that you brought that up because, you know, I'm a little note taker. And so I have my little list of things that I, I want to bullet point off on here. And one of the things that I wrote down before we even started this podcast is new guests and then little sub bar. What about the wives? And then you said in the beginning about uh, trips, the people taking the trips that you'd said, you know, like, what about the wives? And so I think that's, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a woman's promoter. I'm a promoter of women in ministry. A hundred percent always have been probably because I, I mean, my mom's not in ministry, but my mom was a strong personality. And so that, that always kind of, you didn't look at women no, as I've smaller. Never, no, mm-hmm. I've never, I've never thought about that. And it is, that's big time on my heart 
Mm-hmm. What about the the people who are left? What about the kids? Like the yeah. kids that are left behind and the kids that are left in ruins. And uh, not that we're going to interview kids on here, but there's just so many. There's so many lives. The ripple effect or the butterfly effect that happens in the midst of. And if if a man, let's just say that, or I mean a woman too, because you just mentioned mm-hmm. that there are women who they had an affair, so now their husband's having to deal with it. But as a man, let me just address the man thing. If a man could have enough courage to think about someone other than himself. Oh my himself, gosh, right? This idea of what about me? Somewhere along the line, it is that spirit of entitlement that you'd go, how is it that you, first of all, I wrote this in my prayer journal too. Let me get off on a little, little tirade. I wrote this in my prayer journal today too, that how fortunate I feel like I am to be called to the ministry. Hmm. I didn't wake up at four o'clock this morning, build a couple of bologna sandwiches, throw a thermos of coffee and a silver lunch pail, go get in my truck and drive to the work site today and dig ditches for the next 12 hours. There are dudes who are having to do that today. And I honor those guys. My dad was one of those guys. My dad worked 12 hour days, seven days a week, you know, for 30 years on, on an assembly line. And I applaud him. I honor him. And I don't think I'm any better than that. You just know how grateful you are. I'm so grateful mm-hmm. that, what did, what did I do today? Why well, I worked on my message. I actually just wrote this in my prayer journal today. My main responsibility is to write a couple of 30-minute talks a week. About Jesus. About Jesus. That's something I should be talking about anyway. Mm. I'm going to get to get on a plane tomorrow fly to Tampa, Florida with a professional sports team, stand in front of a room full of professional athletes and give a 30-minute talk about Jesus. That's one thing I get to do this week. I get to sit in front of a microphone today and I get to I get to talk to people about a passion of my life and beg them not to take the step that they're about to take. God has trusted me with that responsibility. And it and it there is a burden that comes with that. There is a burden, trust me, that comes with standing in front of a room full of world-class athletes who are going to play in front of 90,000 people the next day and know that something that you say could or could not push them over or put them under what their performance could be. I am well aware of the responsibility that comes with that and the weight that comes with that. But it is a heck of a lot less of a responsibility or a weight than I could have been carrying. And God reached through time and space and grabbed me in the biggest hole of my life and pulled me out and said, you know what? I'm going to make the second half of your life better than the first half of your life. Why? Because I was courageous enough to say, yes, I will. Mm -hmm. And there are dudes who are on here who need to be courageous enough to say, yes, I will. And other dudes who need to be courageous enough to say, no, I won't who will put their stinking keyboard down, who will put their cell phone down, who will delete websites and email addresses and social media profiles of people that they've been communicating with and connecting with, who the only reason that that woman even connected with you is because you connected them to Jesus. And now you have bastardized the calling that is on your life enough that you would, you you would prostitute the calling that God put upon your life to get some booty. Mm. You 
Mm. We don't say you should be ashamed of yourself, but you should be embarrassed. Mm. So there are some dudes. I don't even know I got off on that. No, it's a good word. And, And to piggyback off what you just said, their excuse would be, I'm so overwhelmed. It's so much stress and pressure. The very thing you said yeah. about standing in front of a room, knowing the obligation, the spiritual warfare. Absolutely. But you know what they would also say? Like, I'm a pastor and I have a legacy. And so we're called to all these people and I can't let them down and let them know what I'm doing in this in this secret. But if you were use the word legacy, which any pastor feels like he's building a legacy, he's helping people. Back to the kids thing. Would you quit trying to build a legacy of ministry for thousands of people who will not be at your bedside as you destroy the legacy of your children because your eight-year-old now has to go through a divorce because you wouldn't stop sooner? Right. There is a legacy that's more important than the legacy of ministry. And we we just— we just vacated Green Bay full time the last two years and have been going between two cities for two years so our son could be in a safer place for his mental health and his life. Yeah. And we felt we had we came to a crossroads. We could keep, I mean, it was the pandemic, so it was definitely already a crossroads. But are we gonna continue to try to grow this church, multiply this church, be on all the fastest growing lists again and again and again? Or are we going to say our legacy of life church is not as important as our legacy of Isaiah Hennessy? And it cost us some people yeah. that were like, really? Cost us staff members. Yep. And now looking back two years later, I'd do it again. I, I'm so glad we won't have to do it again. Hallelujah. But I would do it again because our yeah. son is doing better. Our daughter yeah. is thriving, thriving after. And we actually had to put our money where our mouth was, literally. Our our put our house up for sale so we could go rent different places in a different state to have our kids in a safer place or just a place that we knew they needed in a, in a pandemic. And we had to put our money where our mouth was on our five priorities. And you had said yeah. all along, um, the church isn't in my top five. And we lost people 10 years ago when we came <laughs> to Green Bay, when you said, you're, yeah. you might be number six or seven, you're a priority. But, but, this is the top five is, is God, me, my spouse, my kids, my immediate family. That's five. Um, but when you really have to do it, that stinks. And right now there's some people at the crossroads of, am I really going to do it? Cause I preach it well, Yeah. but is, am, I, am I really going to think legacy? Okay. But you go back, you said something about, they, they feel like they can't come forward because they, they don't want to disappoint the people. Well, think about that before you take your First text message. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say something else, but you, yeah. th- you should think about that. If you don't want to disappoint people, then have integrity. Mm-hmm. And I understand as a person who threw his integrity away, I devalued my integrity. I mean, this is years and years ago. But point being, as somebody who devalued that, here's what I should have done. When I started to have those temptations, I should have gone to somebody, but we're so prideful and want people to think we're so perfect. Your sin's going to find you out. Mm -hmm. It's going to find you out. Like if you don't deal with this, if you don't get to the core, the root of it, it is going to destroy you. And so it's unfortunate that since our last series, there have been new falls. Yes, there have. There's been a number 
of new falls. And one of the things that's really disappointing to me is that in the midst of some of those falls, there have been people who have been trying to put, please don't say any names. There have been people who have been trying to put those people back on the fast track. People, Mm -hmm. the sharks are in the water who are trying to capitalize on that person's name recognition that they couldn't get next to them before. And so now they're compromising their character so that they can attach their integrity to somebody who has none. And so there's been falls, there's been more, and there will be more, and that's heartbreaking. And so our heart and our goal behind this is if you're listening to this and you've got a temptation, you don't know us, it's hard for you to navigate this in your mind that we are a safe space. Yeah, and I think you and I were just, I'd say we got harsher at the end in terms of just raw, but I will say imposter syndrome is the biggest burden you could carry and mm. this situation you're talking about here at the end about someone who's fallen, who is just being propped up by others who just are taking the opportunity to book this person. Um, imposter syndrome begets imposter syndrome, mm. begets imposter syndrome. And what we're saying is our heart is to be that raw about how major this is and then be so soft-hearted towards you where you're at. And lastly, I would say this. I had a guy come up to me in the lobby in Toronto a couple of weeks ago after I preached. And um, I'm a hybrid executive pastor for them is what's going on. So we now have two churches. I'm working for both. Um, but he came up to me and he said, uh, I listen to your podcast. He's not a pastor, but he serves in ministry. His wife is a pastor. And he said, I have one complaint. And I'm like, oh, okay. no. I Already? I just already? got here. Yeah. He said, I listened to your podcast. He said, you, sh- you need to warn people to not listen to it while they drive. He said, I had to pull over. I was sobbing so hard wow. on the side of the highway. And I was like, wow. He said, and I can't, and he wouldn't say, I don't know if he's struggling with a fall. He just, and he kept just saying it. I couldn't make it through in one episode. It was too hard. So I I do think that if you haven't listened to some of these podcasts, some of these episodes, please maybe go back because our heart is, and I had, we had another pastor who's actually worked through our restoration. He was our first one and he was on stage doing worship this past week, not as a pastor again, but a year later through the restoration. And I remember him telling me after episode one that had come out season one, he was the first one to be in our, he moved here. He did the program. Season one, almost a year ago, maybe half a year ago, he said, um, I just cried through the whole first podcast. He had fallen all the way. Yeah. And he's now, he really is. He's turning the corner and he's almost on the other side. Yeah. Let me address where you said we we're a little harsher. I am harsh towards posers. I'm not harsh towards people who are willing to put in the work. Yep. I don't I don't have a lot of grace for posers because I've been one. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I get indignant toward people who live a lie. So anybody who wants to come forward. And bear their soul, man. We're here. I will fight. I will bite, beg, borrow, do whatever to help you. Mm-hmm. And so maybe you're listening to this and you're in the middle, the midst, 
or in the beginnings or even just a little tantalization of taking a step towards something that's slippery and you don't have anybody to talk to, will you reach out to us? Mm-hmm. You can go to our website. You can reach out to us. You can find us both on social. Mm-hmm. Sean Hennessy, Sonny Hennessy, spelt like the liquor, H-E-N-N-E-S-S-Y. Hey. Dot coms. So you can go. Or the exchange collaborative yep, dot Or com. my email, Sean at lifechurchgreenbay.com. My cell phone number is 920-883-9055. I don't give that up very often. But, but it you, is on our website. You know, we added I it. I do. Yeah. And we took that uh, not lightly. Mm-hmm. And so point being, if you're listening to this and you need help, please reach out to us. We love you. We believe in you. We want to invest in you because we believe that there is a rise after the fall. Hi, friends. It's Sunny again. And I just want to say, Sean and I appreciate your faithful listening. And we hear all the time that many of you are sharing this. In fact, we've had a few people say, I tell everybody I know, specifically other pastors and leaders about this podcast. And so we may have shared in our early season two episode about the story of getting a retreat center that we're now going to call the reserve, Uh, 20 acres, multiple houses, and the ability to house pastors and leaders, their families. We're going to basically say we're hosting the hurting. We're hosting the betrayed. We're restoring the betrayer. Uh, And so now we have a campus to do that on a, a 20 acre property to do that on as well as we'll continue to bring people into Green Bay and we provide um, help in the finances for that and the housing for that at times as needed. Also, we'll continue to go to people. We've done that over the last couple of years, flown directly to couples in crisis. That's been an ongoing thing that Sean and I, Pastor Becky, Pastor Barry have done. But what I wanted to ask you is that um, because this retreat center is $1.8 million, which actually for 20 acres, a massive house, other housing, uh, it's really reasonable. We just happened to find it in a great location. And the person who's selling it to us has a ministry heart. He's on the board of the church that we interned at coming right out of Bible college. It's just crazy, the God story. But we need to get $600,000 as the down payment. Now he's going to spread that over the first year. So it's 54,000 a month. Then after that, the 1.2 million that we will finance with him, those payments will start and that's in the 70 some hundred dollars. So $7,000 a month plus utilities and expenses, but that's much more palpable than 54,000 a month. But for this first year, we're grateful that we didn't have to come up with 600,000 to even begin work on the property. We already own it. We're already doing construction. But what I would ask you is if you would consider, and you may say, it's me. I have, you know, $100,000 put away for our church that we are going to start construction on something. Or you may say, I have $1.8 million at the church I lead and we were breaking ground. But I feel, <laughs> this is the crazy thing. I've heard some crazy stories about pastors who after having the money or praying for the money and they get it for something God's having them do, 
God told them to give it away. But then God exceeded their expectation and they came back and had eightfold, ninefold. I know of a church in Texas, this just happened. Uh, they gave a million dollars they had raised to break ground on a new property. And the, someone had been at this conference with them and they had a roof that had caved in and it was a million dollars to repair it. And God told him, give the million dollars. Well, he did. And within a few weeks, they had a company come to them and offer them money for the land and to give them land they owned. And they basically were given about $8 million from their million dollars they gave away. So I just know that when Sean and I even have given $1,200, which was our first big gift when we were first married at a conference and God told us give everything. And we had $1,201 in our bank account, which was a ton for us. It was like our savings. We gave it, we got home and we had a check in our mailbox for $1,250. Now we made $49 on that, but it increased our faith. We made a lot of return on our faith and that investment and knowing God will never ask us to give that he doesn't have a huge plan. So I take this time to say, you might be the one that says, we're going to give you 1.8. You'll never have to worry about money as you do this ministry. You might say, we're going to give you 600,000 for the down payment so that you don't have to stress for the first year at 54,000 a pop as you build it out. Or you might say, we're going to give monthly or we have something else in mind. Thank you for considering it. Thank you for stepping out in faith and thank you for being a faithful listener to this. We appreciate you.